What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Arico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeArico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our podcasts, articles, all of our baseball and fantasy baseball content is posted out from here at Sports Ethos. Of course, you can go get it right from the source at sportsethos.com, but in a nice little convenient package, just all of our fantasy baseball stuff. Go follow Ethos Fantasy BB and check out what we got going on over there. Now, we are again going to be doing a hot stove slash signings episode because there's a lot of news. The second I pressed stop on the recording yesterday, Sean Murphy was traded and there was that whole shit show trade, the three-team trade. We're going to go over that. We'll go over a couple other signings. My Blue Jays made a move that wasn't terrible. We signed a good pitcher. We're going to talk about that. And again, apologies for those of you who are still looking for those starting pitching review shows. I've had a couple of messages on Twitter, actually. I didn't expect to, but a couple people said, are you going to be getting back to the SP reviews? I've mentioned it here on the pod. Yes, we are going to review uh, probably another 40 or so starting pitchers on the pod, 40 or 50. We've done in about, I think, 20 or 25 of them, and we'll keep going. And we like to go into a little bit more depth here. Uh, we'll spend five, seven minutes or so on each player. So probably... I'd say probably about 50 more pitchers we'll get into over the next few weeks when the hot stove cools down. Well, we have topics, though, that are fresh on everybody's mind. The Bassett signing, you know, Christian Vazquez signed, the trade. There's a lot of stuff that we can talk about here. We'll put the reviews off until a little bit later in the offseason. But starting pitcher and relief pitcher, we are not quite done there yet. You can go back down the catalog a couple weeks, find all the other positional reviews that we've done. We've done literally everything except for pitching. But right when we started with pitching, we did a couple shows. We had Michael Simeone on, and then I did a couple of solo starting pitching review pods. And then it was just hell broke loose here in terms of free agent signings. And in my time of following baseball, close to 20 years now, uh, that is this is probably the most exciting time uh, in, in terms of Decembers that, we, that I've seen anyway, that I can remember. There might be one or two over the years that have been just as exciting. But this has been incredible, constant flurry of activity for, I think it's been literally like two full weeks now, every day, we got three, four big signings. I don't know if there's going to be anybody left to sign by the time we get to January, February. Of course, there are still some big names who are unsigned, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, who there are a couple of rumors about, Uh, maybe we'll mention those near the end, Carlos Rodon, also unsigned. But let's talk about some of the players who did find new homes over the last couple of days. Let's start with Chris Bassett. We'll start with my Blue Jays. They signed Chris Bassett, and I personally, I'm very happy about this deal. We needed a more rotation depth. Now, how is he going to look in Toronto? I'm not sure, but he has been very consistent in his career. He gave him a three-year, $63 million contract. Personally, I like it. If you look at the career numbers, 345 career ERA, 381 FIP. The XFIP is a little bit higher at 423, and his Sierra is 375. But Sometimes XFIP can be a little bit higher because they use expected home run rate as opposed to the actual home runs you allow. So that could be why it's a little bit higher. There were some seasons where his XFIP was quite a bit higher than his FIP. Uh, We had 333 compared to 467, 376 to 450, 398 to 452. His XFIP has always been a little bit higher. So no real need for concern there. In terms of what he does, pretty average for strikeout and walk rates. They are... Pretty close to the league average. First career, 21.7% strikeout rate, 7.4% walk rate. I believe 22 and 8, respectively, are the league averages. So he's right in line there. Uh, 22.4% strikeout rate this year, 6.6% walk rate. All very good. He's going from a good team to another good team in maybe a slightly worse ballpark. Uh, Roger Center is you know, a little bit hitter friendly. So maybe we'll see uh, him give up some more home runs. We'll see that FIP actually, you know, go up a little bit with the XFIP more so this year. 
Uh, but in terms of who the Blue Jays got, he's a guy who can go, you know, these last couple of seasons, exclude the shortened year, 181 innings, 157, and 144. So logic would indicate he's probably not going to get any higher than that at age 33. Probably about 180, 170, 180 innings is what you can expect from Chris Bassett. And I think that's something that we don't really talk about, or maybe hasn't, maybe it has been talked about, and I just didn't see it. A uh, lot of ground balls. He gives up a lot of ground balls, and now he's got Matt Chapman as his third baseman once again. So could that be something there? Could that be, and again, the, the Boba Shed factor at short might mitigate any advantage you'd have from having a gold glover like Chapman at third, but I don't know that it's necessarily set in stone that Boba Shed's going to be playing shortstop for the entire season for the Blue Jays. I think that there's a chance. I don't think they're going to get one of the big shortstops. I don't think they're going to go for a Swanson or a Correa as much as I'd, I'd like it, depending on the cost, of course. But I think that there is a chance maybe we see Santiago Espinal play some more shortstop. I, I think that they are, as a whole, not really so happy with how he's done there. So maybe he doesn't stick. His defense has not been great. Better last year than the year before. But overall, uh, he would take away a little bit from that. But Matt Chapman at third base is a Hoover he is going to scoop up everything that's hit down there. Almost a 50% ground ball rate this year, 44, for his entire career. Uh, I think that that is a bit of a boost there that he will get. Everything is roughly the same for me. I don't think there's any need to move him around too much one way or the other in terms of your rankings. Uh, I still need to get into doing all of my rankings. I've done some early ones. Still working on uh, the general overall pool and then tiers as well. I'm going to tier them out. I'm not sure exactly where Bassett is going to fit. I think among starting pitchers, and again, when I go into these NFBC drafts, I need to remember to filter out the Gladiators because they are so different. They are literally like a night and day difference in terms of what you're looking at. Uh, his ADP right now, in terms of the draft champions that have taken place, he's the 64th pitcher, and it's 160.1 is his ADP. I think it's probably about right. I think it's probably a pretty decent deal. Uh, could he come back and win another 15 games next year in Toronto? I think he could. I think it's totally possible in that lineup, or not in that lineup, but having that lineup behind you. Uh, the defense is pretty good. It's not like we're not an elite defensive team, but we're we're all right where it's not like a huge thing you have to look at where, oh, there's going to be horrible defensive factors behind him. I, I think that it'll be pretty similar to what we've seen in years past with Chris Bassett, a 3-5, roughly a 3-5 ERA. Uh, you know, league average walk and strikeout numbers and just a dependable number three guy. And I forget who said it. There was a podcast that was actually like yesterday or today uh, where he's just a guy where there's not, I th honestly, I think it was the CBS podcast. I think Scott White said it. Uh, he's not a guy where there is ace potential, but it's a very high floor. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, he's not going to go out there and give you a sub three, sub two, five kind of ERA. I mean, he did in the short season, but you can't really extrapolate that. Uh, I think that he's probably just really a solid early mid-round guy. And I don't mean early, depending on where you're drafting. If you're drafting in a draft champions, it's still going to be early pick 160. If you're drafting in your standard 10 and 12 team leagues, he's going to be a guy who has a ton of value. He's one of those guys. And I think uh, Nick Pollock and the pitcher list guys have a word for this in their glossary of someone who is just, he's hes not going to be dropped uh, for the entire season. He's somebody that you will have on your roster, even if there are a couple of rough games. He's not somebody you're going to want to drop. He's a solid, full-season type of guy. His last three years have been full, healthy seasons. So, knock on wood, uh, we should be able to see more of the same going forward from Chris Bassett. I'm, I'm very happy to take him as the 64th pitcher off the board. And likely he'll move up a little bit here. Tends to happen when somebody signs. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll generally be in this kind of range. 
Uh, but I think I'm okay with it. I think I'm definitely going to be okay with it around 10, around 10 or so, around 11 uh, in a 15-teamer, and then a little bit later in a 12-teamer, around 13 or so, around 14. I think that's you know 12 even. That's, that's a really good deal for Chris Bassett. So keep an eye on him. Uh, mid-round guy who's not going to blow a lot of people away, <clears throat> especially because he's going to be a number three or number four starter, but he should still have a lot of value. And where somebody came in to the Toronto rotation, somebody left. And this was a sad one because I'd grown extremely fond of the chicken strip, Ross Stripling himself. He signed with San Francisco, actually not even that long ago. It was like maybe an hour ago. Uh, he signed, or a couple hours ago now. He signed a two-year, $25 million deal with the Giants. Uh, there's an opt-out after this season. And yeah, $5 million signing bonus. I think it's, I think it's honestly a good deal. Pretty, it seems pretty cheap. Like he's going to be making the same amount of money that the Jays are going to be paying Yusei Kikuchi, maybe even a little bit less. Um, like, I would much rather have Ross Stripling, <clears throat> especially considering the way he pitched this season. Uh, he got the walk rate down to below 4%. How sustainable that is going forward, I don't know. But 21% nearly with the strikeout rate, below 4% walk rate. I'm not sure if he qualified as a league leader, uh, but he would have been probably leading Major League Baseball. I don't think he did qualify. Uh, only 134 innings. But... That is one of the elite ground ball rates uh, we have seen in baseball. Now, I talked throughout this season a little bit. There's a couple articles I wrote that you guys can go find uh, if you looked up my name and Ross Stripling on Sports Ethos or even just Google or whatever. Uh, you will find me talking about his pitch mix throughout the season a little bit. And the fact that he stopped using the curveball as much, fell below 10%. His changeup went from, you know, his career average changeup usage, 15%. And going back a couple of years, it was 15, 17, 14. This year, he used it 27% of the time. And that's like, it was a good pitch for him. Uh, if you're looking at pitch values here over on fan graphs, it was a positive value pitch. Almost, I'm not even sure how this is calculated, uh, but uh, 4.0 was the value on the cha or change up runs above average. I guess I'm, I'm not the most versed in how these things work. Obviously, positive value is good. Negative value is bad. His curveball has been a negative pitch for him, especially you know this last season. Negative uh, 1.4 the year before, negative 4.3. It was actually a positive pitch for him with the Dodgers, but it has tailed off some in his time in Toronto. He used more changeups, and he was very successful because of it. He's also throwing less fastballs, a couple more sliders, and it all was in line, really, because the fastball was not a great pitch for him. Historically, it really hasn't been. Uh, his best pitch throughout his career actually has been his curveball, if you look at the entirety of it. But these last couple of seasons, these last two seasons combined for a negative 5.7 uh, run value or above average. Again, I'm not the greatest with how these all work because there's a lot of sections here on fan graphs. Where there's pitch value, there's pitch info, pitch value, pitch info, pitch values by, divided by 100. Like there's, there's a lot of different things here. But what I do know for sure, positive is good, negative is bad. I know great, great, really deep analytical thought there. Um, but plus four for the changeup. Last year was plus six. I like this move. And I honestly, I like this move even more the more I think about it because San Francisco is so good. We talked about it yesterday with Shamanaya. They know what they are doing in terms of bringing in guys, tinkering with something here or there, and making them that much better. And the tinkering has already happened with Ross Stripling. He is striking out not that many batters, 21, 22% for the career, but the walk rate has gone down over these last couple of years, went from 8.2 down to 7, down to 3.7%. Opponent's batting average went from 279 down to 248 down to 228. And his whip went from 150 from to 127 to 102 over these last three seasons. 
He's been really good. And you might think, well, maybe he was lucky this last season, you know, had a really good year. 357 XERA, 311 FIP, 367 XFIP, and his Sierra was 371. That was the highest mark of any of the pitching indicators. That's a really damn good season. 134 innings. He gave you 10 wins. He actually gave you a save this year as well, which, like, Jesus, like, that's just... I know it doesn't mean that much, one save, but maybe it did to somebody in a Roto League. Who knows? Ross Stripling had incredible value, and I think on this kind of deal, two years, two two by 25, uh, there's no really going wrong here for San Francisco. I think this is a great signing for them, and I think that they've done a really good job in bolstering their rotation, bolstering their team. Not that the team is going to be so great, I don't think, but they're, they should be above 500. Like They should probably be... I don't know how great they're going to be necessarily, but they're, you know, they could be a 90 win team. I think this rotation has turned into a really good rotation. Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Alex Wood, even with the loss of Carlos Rodon, this is a really strong rotation. So I think that they might be slept on a little bit. They're not somebody I'd put, you know, world series futures bets on or anything, but they could be a pretty good team, especially because they don't have to play within the division as much next year. Won't be as many games against the Dodgers and the Padres. So Ross Stripling could be in line for a very good year. My first thought when I, when I saw that he left was he's winning the Cy Young this year and he's not going to win the Cy Young this year, but that's what San Francisco tends to do. He's not someone who's going to throw nearly enough innings or be nearly good enough to win a Cy Young. That's my initial thought is, yeah, he's gone from Toronto, gone to one of the best pitching organizations, my favorite organization in terms of pitching development, and he's going to be great. So congrats to Ross for cashing in a little bit there, 12 and a half, a little bit, $12.5 million a year. He cashed in. Uh, he should be great in San Francisco. And wish him nothing but the best here as a Jays fan who's watched him over these last couple of years. Put in really solid work for us as a starter and also uh, out of the bullpen. So best wishes to uh, Ross Stripling. Let's talk about the trade that happened yesterday. We will go back. And it's honestly hard to tell if they've even completed this trade fully, if there are still more pieces that are going to be announced. We're not going to talk about all the pieces because there are a lot of players in this trade. There were five, nine players in this trade. So here's what Oakland got. Essentially, they got a heaping pile of nothing. And I, I hate to say that because you're talking about human beings here. I know that none of them are going to be listening to this podcast. I doubt it anyway. But at the same time, it's like malpractice as an organization to do what they've done. I saw a list yesterday or the day before about, I think it would, would have been yesterday, about all the players that they have purged from their team over the last year. And uh, you know, off the top of my head, you got Olsen, you got Murphy. You got Matt Chapman. Um, you know, Loriano is going to be out the door soon. You got Bassett gone, Manaya gone, Frankie Montes gone. They've torn apart this team and they've turned it into nothing. Like they're they're almost asking for relocation at this point. Uh, I, I'm not even sure exactly what goes into the relocation process. Who has to initiate it? Is it the league telling the team you're done here? Is it the team going to the league and saying? We need to move. I'm not sure, but they're doing everything right if they want to, you know, fold as a franchise, essentially, because they're pathetic. The Oakland, Oakland is a pathetic franchise. And again, you're talking about people, you're talking about individuals running these teams, playing for these teams. They're a joke. They are a total joke. If you look at their lineup, uh, you know, people are joking, would they win a AAA title? I don't know if they would win a AAA title. They are really, really terrible. They're going to be thrown out a lineup. That includes, you know, as somebody who covers baseball, I know not professionally, but somebody who covers the sport, looking through their lineup, there are a good couple players. Like Nick Allen is their shortstop. I'm not sure who Nick Allen is. Connor Kappel, not sure who he is. If you look through the bench, Ryan Noda, Ernie Clement. Ernie Clement I've heard of, but 
we're looking at a really rough group of guys here. Uh, this team's going to lose like 110 games. I, I think 110 is a reasonable, you know, I wonder what the sports books are saying in terms of loss over unders. They're going to lose a shit ton of games. Well, let's talk about the trade here. So they acquired Manny Pena, Kyle Muller, Freddie Tarnock, Estuary Ruiz, and Royber Salinas. Manny Pena, yes, we know who Manny Pena is. Kyle Muller looks like he could be a decent arm down the stretch, down the line. Uh, I liked him a little bit in Atlanta, but we never really got to see him at the major league level enough to really know what he is. Um, Estuary Ruiz, let's talk about him real quick. We'll talk about the Oakland side. He's somebody who could be really good, and considering this lineup, they currently have him slotted in the nine hole, but I think he probably will end up at the top of the order considering his profile. He walks a lot on base, has always been pretty good in the minors, um, you know, in the majors. He hasn't really done much, but it was only 17 games there. Uh, didn't really have a proper chance to show what he can do. In the minors, though, pretty low strikeout percentages. You're looking at this year, uh, you know, a couple different levels, but 17% strikeout rate, walk rate, 13.8% uh, in AA, and then 84 in AAA. Very, very strong numbers. Uh, in terms of the speed that he gives you, he is insane. In 2022, in AA, he stole 37 bases. Um, and actually, you know what, they have AAA, there's two different AAA sets here because he was traded uh, mid-season. This is the second time he's been traded in the last couple of months. So in AA with San Diego, he had 37 steals. In AAA with Milwaukee, he had 25 steals. And in AAA with San Diego, he had 23 steals. And those came in 49, 37, and 28 games, respectively. We're looking at WRC pluses of 177 in AA, 134, 145, you know, on-base percentages well over 400, close to 500 in AA. And then again, in San Diego's uh, AAA system, 457 on-base percentage. He could be really, really good. And I think as a leadoff hitter, he could be somebody where he is doing a lot for you in terms of just getting on, but even in a shitty ballpark, because it's a bad ballpark. But he's not somebody who is a power hitter. He's not somebody who is going to rely. I mean, he hit 12 home runs in single A in 2019. He hit 10 home runs in double A in 2021. But he's not somebody who you're going to be drafting for power. It would be for speed and likely for runs, maybe a couple other counting stats mixed in there. Uh, but that really depends on where Oakland is going to bat him. And we don't know as of right now. Roster resource is a, is a great resource, no pun intended. Uh, it's fantastic to look at and see what they are generally expecting. But they don't set the lineups. We don't know what is going to happen with Ruiz. I think it makes sense for him to lead off, at least to start it out. They might as well let him you know, have a go at it. It's not like this team is playing for anything. It's not like Tony Kemp leading off, followed by Seth Brown, you know, Jace Peterson cleaning up Aladmus Diaz. It's not like this team has long-term aspirations for these guys at the top of the lineup. Loriano, I think, is going to be gone, too. He, like, he's currently slotted in as a three-hitter. He's really the only household name here, and even saying household name is like... We're pushing it a little bit there, but I mean, he's the only guy who's really well known in this lineup at all. He's likely to be gone at some point. So uh, I, I don't know what their really what their plan is. If if Ruiz is batting ninth, he could still have some value. He'll still steal bases, but it'll definitely take away to the amount of runs he can get. And but they're already going to be kind of limited in that lineup. There's not going to be counting stats galore to be had in Oakland. Even as the leadoff hitter, you'd probably cap out your expectations at 80 runs. That's, eh, yeah, probably, I'd have to take her with that a little bit, but 75, 80 runs, you know, absolute most for that team. And even that, I say that, it's like, yeah, maybe 70. 
like in that range, you're not going to get 100 runs out of a guy on this team. You're just not. They are terrible. Obviously, the division's pretty good around them. They're not going to have to face the division as much next year, which is a factor. But the American League as a whole is fairly strong. Uh, I, I don't think that there's much reason to not bat him lead off uh, and just see what you got with him there. In terms of his draft price, I think it's actually a little bit higher than what we were expecting, uh, what I was expecting personally. Let me just pull it up here and make sure it hasn't changed too much. And I think the drafts have kind of slowed down a little bit here. Uh, so that shouldn't have changed that much. Yeah, so Ruiz is going off the board at pick 344 right now. 344 and a half called 345. Minimum pick of 255, maximum of 481. And that is, again, all draft champions that have taken place since the season ended. I don't think that that's going to be a problem in that range, but I think that there's also a chance maybe he gets moved up uh, a little bit here, specifically, of course, when we enter preseason or spring training. Uh, if he is leading off in spring, people are going to start drafting him very high up. If you're getting him at 350 right now, I, I'd be very, very interested. But I think that's like you got to draft now to take advantage of that because the price will definitely move around a little bit. Uh, how high will it go? It's hard to say. Probably 50 spots. Pro if I was to guess, like, oh, but not immediately, but by the time I get the draft season, I think he'll be just inside of the top 300. And I'd probably be okay with him there. Uh, if you start pushing him inside the top 250 or he starts going around pick 200 or something, likely not. I, I don't think that I would want to at that point, but outfield, we've talked about how thin it is in five outfielder formats. If you're getting Ruiz at you know a pick 350, which in a 15-teamer is round roughly like 23, I'm, I'm totally okay with him there. Uh, how long you'll be able to get him there for, I'm not really sure. Let's talk about the Brewers' main piece. We'll talk about, we'll mention all of them. William Contreras, Joel Piamps, Justin Yeager. Piamps and Yeager, we don't need to talk about because this is a fantasy podcast. And as much as it is a fantasy, not a reality, those two in any fantasy are not going to be um, fantasy relevant this season. So no need to really talk about them. William Contreras is an interesting name to look at here. I like William Contreras, and I think this is probably a pretty good move. And I say that because he is going to a worse team. Uh, and, you know, there was a good part of his value this year that did come from the counting stats. 97 games. He played 97 games. He had 51 runs and 45 ribbies. Over a whole season, I'm not the greatest math guy, but you're talking about, you know, 80-ish 80, runs, 80-ish RBIs or something like that. Uh, not something that you're going to see happen for him in Milwaukee. I would be pretty surprised. Now, I believe that Roster Resource has him listed as the four-hitter in the lineup. Let me pull it up and make sure. Yeah, he's currently listed as a four-hitter. Their lineup's looking pretty good. It's definitely not as good as the Braves lineup would be. He doesn't have to worry so much about playing time. Victor Caratini is their backup catcher. He'll get some playing time as well. Uh, but no more Travis Darno to worry about. And, of course, the incoming Sean Murphy was going to take away his spot anyway. That's why they made the trade. So they got rid of William Contreras. He's only 24 years old. In my head, he's going to be 25. Uh, in a couple weeks, but I thought that he was like 25 or 26. I'm only 24. I guess we can just call him 25 because his birthday, uh, Christmas Eve. So not a long time until he is 25, but he is still really, really young. He walked more than 10% of the time this year, which is very good. Strikeout rate, a little bit high at 27.7, but from what you're getting out of the catcher spot, uh, I think you're going to be pretty overall, pretty happy with that. Uh, in terms of his draft price, now in terms of all catchers, and I have to keep changing the way I'm sorting this here, guys. Pardon me for the poor radio there. In terms of the catchers, he is going as the 10th catcher off the board. I personally think I'd put him ahead of Tyler Stevenson, knowing that he'll have more guaranteed playing time. 
Stevenson I really like on a per at-bat basis. I might take him. But factoring in, coming back from injury, he's been injured a couple times this last season. Not really sure what we're going to get out of him uh, in terms of totals. I, I think I would put Contreras ahead of him. And looking ahead here, I think that that's probably about as high as I would push him. Probably into the nine spot. Uh, yeah, once you get past that, you got MJ Melendez, who I'd probably take because you get the outfield eligibility as well. Then Alejandro Kirk, then his brother Wilson, and then you can't really make the argument anymore. But he should be able to play like 120 games, I think, is probably realistic, giving you 450 or so plate appearances. 450, 475, I would expect from him. Uh, he could probably give you 20 home runs again. The counting stats, like I said, probably won't be quite as good because the lineup just isn't as good. But he could still give you like 70 probably runs and close to 70 RBIs if he plays a whole season. And a whole season for a catcher, likely we're talking like 120, 130. Uh, he did really well on a per-game basis this year. I'd look for him to have more total value next season, if that makes sense, uh, given the lineup he's going to, which is still, I mean, Yelich leading off, Adamas second, Telez third, Contreras four, Winker five. It's not a bad lineup at all. It's definitely not the Braves, but it's not like he's going, you know, if he'd went back to Oakland, then, you know, we would have had a, a different discussion here. I would be probably putting him, you know, even a spot down, you know, he's currently by ADP, the catcher going one ahead of Sean Murphy, about nine picks. If they had just done a swap there, I probably would have just swapped the rankings, honestly. Uh, not that, not that these are my rankings. This is based on ADP, but if William Contreras had gone to Oakland, that would not have been really great for his value uh, in Milwaukee. I'm willing to take a chance on him here where he's going, which is still, I think, a fairly reasonable price at 145. I don't think he'll move too, too much, but I think that he's probably should be ahead of, of Tyler Stevenson. If someone takes Stevenson and you're sitting there, Contreras is the next catcher off the board, I wouldn't feel so bad about it. Uh, you're giving up some batting average likely in the long run, but at the same time, he hit 278 this year. Granted, fairly short sample, uh, small sample size, excuse me, but I think that that's probably, eh, probably a little bit high. Probably going to look at like 260, 270 for him, whereas Stevenson could be a 300 guy, uh, but you're going to be getting some more power, I believe, out of Contreras and likely still more counting stats when you think about the fact that Stevenson is in Cincinnati. You want to talk about poor teams, poorly run teams. I mean, they're better than Oakland, but still we're looking at a, a bare bones roster there. So not many players around him who will be able to help him out there in terms of the counting stats. So Contreras would probably move up one spot for me there. Now, the main piece of the trade here we held off Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy going to the Braves. I like Sean Murphy. I think he's a really good catcher. He played a lot last season, 148 games. Now, the question that I've heard posed a little bit in the last 24 hours is, will he play as much? I think he will play close to as much. Honestly, they have a Travis Darnot, who is currently slotted in as the DH. I think there is going to be some changes when you look at this Atlanta lineup. It's it's ridiculously good, though. Like, they have Ozzy Albies slotted in, currently roster resource, as the seventh hitter on the team. Seventh. Marcelo Zuna, eighth. Vaughn Grisham, ninth. Like, uh, realistically, you could have an Albies, Grissom, and Ozuna top third of the order, and it would be pretty good. I, I, absolutely. There is no question in my mind. Grissom, Albies, Ozuna, Albies, Grissom, Ozuna, however you want to put it. You know, I think Marcelo Zuna is a scumbag, but he he can hit. Uh, 23 home runs last year. He's, you know, batting average is not great, but the dude can hit pretty well. Uh, teams would kill to have this bottom third of the batting order is what I'm saying. But in terms of his playing time at catcher, I don't know that Travis Darno is going to stay here. I don't know that he's going to just be 
kind of like a DH platoon kind of catcher at this point in his career. Maybe it's not up to him. I don't know. Maybe he will have some say in it. But I think that likely they will try and find a trade partner. And who the trade partner will be, uh, not really sure, because there's another team that signed a catcher earlier today, Mike Zanino. We'll talk about him next. Uh, the market is not great for catchers, and the Blue Jays saw that as well when they're trying to trade their catchers. Not really any bites. Uh, Jays are probably going to go into the preseason with three legitimate major league catchers. And you want to argue about Gabriel Moreno, if he's there yet, he'd be a starting catcher on a lot of teams. So I, I think that market is probably dried up for catching at the moment. But I still don't see Darno spending the entire year playing for Atlanta. I would expect him to try and find a trade partner. I'm not sure who it would be off the top of my head. Uh, but I don't see them really needing to carry him as a backup or using him as a DH. Personally, I would trade him. I understand wanting to have the depth. Uh, but that's not something I look at with um, with Sean Murphy and say, I, I, you know, I need to factor that in so, so much. I think it's probably going to play a role. But when you look at the fact that he's going to a much better park, a much better team around him, I, I don't really care if he plays 10 less games or if it's 15 less games. Uh, the home runs should be fairly stable. He had 17 in 2021, 18 this year, while playing in some more games. So the per-game home run total did go down a little bit. But if you're talking about the RBIs and the runs, those should be really good. He had 67 runs, 66 RBIs, playing for that terrible, terrible team uh, out in Oakland. So I would have no problem seeing him get to close to 80 of each um, playing in Atlanta. 80 runs, 80 RBIs, close to 20 home runs. I think that's definitely on the table. Specifically, if he's batting fifth, you know, you could see 100 RBIs. So you could easily see 100 RBIs here. When the four guys ahead of you are Acuna, Harris, Austin Riley, and Matt Olson. And then, you know, who knows if Albies will be ahead of him? He probably should be. Uh, Murphy should probably be batting sixth or seventh. But if he's batting fifth, there's untold RBI opportunity there. So I don't really care so much about maybe he loses a few games. 148 games for a catcher, kind of unrealistic anyway, year in and year out. You wouldn't really expect that. Even in one season for a catcher to do that, it's not something that you'd really expect. So I wouldn't be projecting him next year. A steamer hasn't projected for 133 games feels about right. I don't know if they've adjusted this since there was a I'm not sure how Steamer works if they, you know, if they go through it throughout the offseason and tinker with things they must. Uh, but he's currently projected for 133 games, 21 homers, 73 ribbies, 69 runs. Feels fairly conservative on the counting stats side. 21 homers feels probably about right. Uh, but I like this move for for Murphy. He is probably someone I would have in the same range, if not even, you know, I'd probably take him as well ahead of Tyler Stevenson because of this trade. Like that would be my main takeaway from here out of the catcher spot that Contreras and Murphy are probably at, you know Murphy for sure Contreras you could argue I guess both in better spots uh, they're both going to move up one spot for me and then Stevenson would come in behind them probably at number 11 there but catching is pretty deep catching is pretty deep specifically in a one catcher format if you get the two catchers it's obviously a little bit different because you have to have 30 catchers you know that are rostered in a 15 team league and when you start to get to like your Austin Nolas, your Jose Trevino's, uh, you know, your Carson Kelly's, it's not looking as great. But a 12 catcher league or a 12 catcher league, a 12 team league, one catcher, it's looking pretty damn good. You know, Travis Darno would be sitting on the outside looking in in that kind of format as the 13th catcher. So with Kybert Ruiz, Danny Jansen, Yasmani Grandal, Jonah Haim, Logan O'Hoppy, Gabriel Moreno, these guys would all go undrafted in those formats. So, uh, 
I think the catcher is really, really good. And I know I try to cater more so to you guys who play in 10 and 12 team leagues because I think the industry lacks content for those standard home league type of players who still listen to podcasts and read articles. Uh, not everybody plays NFBC. Obviously, we're, we're mentioning their ADP data because that's all we really have to go on right now. But if you're in a 12 team league, uh, these guys, as a back end catcher, you know, you wait a little bit on your catcher, <clears throat> you know, let other people take JT Real Muto in the third round. <clears throat> excuse me, guys, Dalton Varsho in the fourth or fifth round, Will Smith, Sal Perez at pick 65, which is crazy. You know, let people take those guys early on. You don't need to. You can wait a few more rounds, get into the mid-150s, get yourself a Contreras or a Murphy or even a Stevenson. This isn't meant to, to shit on Stevenson. I really like him. He's, he's a great ball player. But I just think he's a little bit below the other two given the fact that their lineups are, are quite a bit better than his, even though he has a better home park, better, better batting, a bit of a better, quite a bit better batting average than the other two. Um, but I think I'd still move them just one spot above Tyler Stevenson there. Now, sticking in line with the catchers, Mike Zanino. That is, I believe, as well, uh, just fairly new news that we have today. Mike Zanino signing a one-year $6 million deal with the Guardians. Very catcher-heavy uh, show today. Uh, not even on purpose, but just the way that it works. Mike Zanino. And then the last guy we're going to talk about later uh, before we send you guys on your way is Christian Vasquez. A lot of catchers, a lot of catcher movement. Mike Zanino, after 2021, I think a lot of people were expecting big things from him, even though he is a career 200 hitter with a 35% strikeout rate. He had a great season. He had 33 home runs in 21, mind you. 33 homers, 64 runs scored, 62 ribbies. You're able to eat that average and be pretty okay with it. I know it's never fantastic, uh, but specifically if you're in a points league in 2021, Zanino is your catcher, you were laughing. This season, eh, 36 games. You might have been laughing hysterically, not in a good way. 36 games, he gave you five homers, 16 ribbies, and batted 148. He struck out 37% of the time, walked less than 5% of the time. His WRC Plus last season was 134. This season, 43. Obviously, a very small sample size, but not what you were hoping for or expecting out of Zanino. Obviously, he was injured. Now, in terms of what happens to him next year on the Guardians, I don't think that there's going to be that much to really look at here with Zanino. I think he's still probably someone who is not much of an option in my eyes. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a big Zanino fan. The, the main takeaway here for me is that those early shares of Bo Naylor are going to suck for people who drafted him because this is a huge obstacle to his playing time. 22, going to be 23-year-old. Potential stud. Like, he's not there yet, but he's a guy who, you know, in the minor leagues walks almost as much as he strikes out at double-A, comes to, goes to triple-A, you know, he strikes out a bit more, walks a bit less, but still a 13% strikeout rate, 13% uh, walk rate, 26% strikeout rate. He had 15 homers in 66 games. You know, he only played five games in the majors, didn't record a hit, but he is somebody who would have been a huge pick of mine. Two catcher leagues, you get him as your second catcher, maybe even your third, depending on how brazen you are with taking catchers early and I thought he'd have a lot of value I thought that it might take you know half a season or so for him to really get acclimated but he was somebody that was talked about at first pitch Arizona of well I think it was Tim McLeod saying Bo Naylor is a guy that you should be taking as you get down uh in your drafts mid you know his ADP 318 not terribly expensive and somebody who could still give you a lot of value in what is actually quietly a really good lineup 
Now he is likely relegated to backup, occasional DH duties perhaps. Josh Bell is going to be DHing, I think, most of the time. So how much DH are we really going to get out of him? I don't know. It sucks for, for the Bo Naylor people. For the Mike Zanino people, I don't really see much of a need to be drafting him so much. I'm going to see where his ADP is. It's low, 575. At that point, sure, if he's your second catcher in a two-catcher league or your third catcher, I think he'll get at-bats if he's healthy. But I wouldn't be really jumping to take him. I'd be a lot more interested, like we mentioned earlier, in a points league where you don't have to worry about that batting average. You just take the home runs and the RBIs, and you take them right to the bank there. Uh, no worries about him batting 145 like he did this, 148. Uh, small sample size, 123 plate appearances, but 148. Absolutely brutal if you took him in a draft champions, and a lot of people did. <clears throat> this lineup, This lineup is actually really good. Like Quan, Rosario, Ramirez, Bell, Jimenez, Josh Naylor, Oscar Gonzalez, Zanino, and Miles Straw. Really good lineup. And then you look at the rotation, Shane Bieber, McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plezak. With a bullpen that features Klasse and Karen Chak. Uh, pretty, pretty impressive stuff. Out of Cleveland, considering how cheap they are. They don't spend a lot of money. We saw it with Jose Ramirez. Like We saw the deal that Jose Ramirez signed. I don't have the figures in front of me, but it was almost embarrassingly low. Like almost any other team could have pretty easily given them that kind of deal. Uh, I was pretty sour that my Blue Jays didn't get him. And especially when you looked at the amount of money that he ended up getting, it was, it was, it was crazy, but they've built a great team. They've built a great team credit to them without spending a ton of money. Zanino is another piece of depth. Sure. But he'll likely be the starting catcher. Uh, you know, I shouldn't even say he's depth. He'll likely be a starter depending on how they want to use Bo Naylor. Uh, $6 million investment isn't, you know, going to break the bank. They have to play him now because it's $6 bucks. If it was the NHL, maybe. But in Major League Baseball, uh, I, don't see, I don't see that being an obstacle. I just think they're going to start Zanino. He is the experienced veteran. He's going to be 32 years old. He'll be the guy they play over the 22-year-old. That would be my expectation. Maybe if there's an injury or, you know, Zanino is just brutal like he is known to be, uh, then maybe we see Bo Naylor get more of a chance. But as of right now, my main takeaway from that signing is the early Bo Naylor shares kind of suck. Yeah, don't want to spend too much time on that because it is rather sour. Somebody who really, really, really likes Bo Naylor. Uh, I am a little bit of a homer, of course, the Naylor boys being Canadians. That is always something that I am going to look at. But uh, from a fantasy baseball point of view... It stinks because Zanino is not somebody you're going to want to rely on, whereas Naylor you may have actually wanted to at least rely on him as a second catcher. You, you'll take Zanino as your second catcher, but you won't be nearly as happy about it. One more catcher, and again, I didn't even really realize as I was putting the, putting the show notes together and getting these fan graphs pages open that we're pretty much only talking about catchers today other than Stripling and Bassett at the beginning. Uh, yeah, so maybe we'll have that in the title in some way, something to do with catchers. But Christian Vasquez, never been a huge Christian Vasquez guy, but he did get paid here. Uh, the deal was, I believe, yeah, three years, $30 million. Eh, I think it's fine. I think it's okay. Am I, am I a big Vasquez guy? No, but I, I think it's probably probably okay i'm just gonna pull up the roster resource here and see where they have him in the lineup probably at the bottom of it somewhere if, yeah he's in the eighth slot of the lineup right now 
Uh, another lineup that's actually pretty solid. If you look at it from top to bottom, Arise, Buxton, Polanco, Max Kepler, Jose Miranda, uh, Nick Gordon, Trevor Larnick. You got Christian Vasquez and then old Alex Kirilov slotted to bat ninth in DH. I don't know if that's going to actually end up happening. Uh, but that's the way the lineup looks right now. Christian Vasquez slotted to bat eighth. I like him fine. I think he's an okay catcher. I think we've kind of, you know, artificially inflated him a little bit because he's a fast catcher and he gets you a couple steals. But, you know, he's capped out at eight, which was 2021. And he had seven in 2017. And other than that, it's been four, four, four. And this year, pretty disappointing in 119 games, one steal. If you're drafting him, and again, maybe, maybe you weren't drafting him for this, but I think a lot of people would draft him as a guy who, okay, I can get a few steals from the catcher slot, and that would be pretty much the end of, of the conversation. Yeah, you know, he's a catcher who steals bases, so I'm going to take him. He's not really, uh, you know, he hits for a pretty decent batting average for a catcher. It was 274 this year, 261 for the career. But overall, for fantasy purposes, pretty underwhelming. Like, he's played quite a bit these last three seasons, and of course, 2019, Looks inflated with the 23 home runs, but we know that those are not real totals. Essentially, they should wipe 2019 from the history books in terms of the way you look at the home run totals because there are so many ridiculous... You know, his his high in home runs is nine, which was this year. 23 home runs in 2019. Like, uh, it's such a clear anomaly that we should just totally ignore it. Uh, and we will ignore it for these purposes. He's not hitting anywhere near 23 home runs. He had nine this season, split between Boston and Houston. I think that's probably about what you're going to get max out of him. At the bottom of this lineup, what we saw for runs and RBIs these last few years, 40, 50 apiece, roughly. That's probably about what you're going to be looking at with him. Uh, the batting average is pretty good. A couple of steals. I guess he's fine. He's not somebody that would really be a target of mine. And I don't think there's really anybody pushing behind him so much on the on the depth chart. Ryan Jeffers. Not somebody I think is going to get a ton of run. Uh, low batting average, kind of like a Mike Zanino type there, although he got his strikeout percentage quite a bit down this year. But I don't think that they're going to be going with him so much. I think this is Vasquez's role to have. So, I mean, if you're looking for a catcher who is going to be playing a lot, yeah, he, he's a good option. In a 15-teamer, two-catcher format, I'm, I'm he's obviously going to be one of your catchers. He's likely going to be your catcher number two. I wouldn't want him as your catcher number one. If you're talking a 10- or 12-team league, there's no need to draft Christian Vasquez. He is somebody who are, maybe you'll have some value off the waiver wire at certain points of the year. He goes on a hot stretch or whatever, uh, perhaps. But I don't see him as being somebody where you need to take him if you're playing in your 12-team Yahoo leagues, your 12-team ESPN leagues, 10-team CBS, whatever, like those home league types, which, you know, they're not all home leagues. I play in a lot of those type of leagues that are pro leagues, public leagues, whatever. They're not just home leagues, but in those kind of formats, 12 teams, I don't think he's going to cut it. 12 teams, two catchers, yes. Uh, 12 teams, single catcher for me, Christian Vasquez, not really going to do the job. ADP of 275 for him. Probably about right. Uh, you know, he's going right behind Jonah Heim. I'll take him over Jonah Heim, I guess. And right behind Yasmany Grandal as well. But Well, not right behind, about 20 picks. I, I would rather have Grandal, I think, betting on the bounce back as opposed to, you know, Grandal is the higher ceiling play, whereas I think Vasquez might have a slightly higher floor. Depends on more, you know, your philosophy as a fantasy player and how you want to build your lineups. Personally, I'd probably take Grandal there, even if I have to reach another round above. Uh, I think there's going to be a good things coming for the White Sox in general this season. I think they're going to turn it around. And I think he's one of those guys who will. Not to get too off topic, Christian Vasquez is not somebody 
where I'd be jumping up the board to get him. If you get him right where you get him, you know, 250 to 275 kind of range, fine. If people start taking him closer to pick 200 because he's signed now and we know where he's going to be, uh, I, I don't see there being any need for that. He's going to play most games, I think, because that's what he's done these last few years, 138, 138, 119. And I'm taking away 2020s, 47 games of the 60 there. But he's somebody who's going to be on the field most of the time, barring injuries, of course. And we know you can't really predict injuries based on previous health. He played 150 games 10 years in a row, so he's going to do it again this year. That's not how it works. But he's a guy who he's not like a Travis Darno. Where he's, you know, he's capping out typically about 110 games or so, 100, even less than that. Uh, a lot of seasons, like 107, 105. We've seen him hit 130, 100, or you know, close to 140 in a couple seasons, and then this year 120. Obviously, he was traded, went to a team that had a catcher they were more comfortable with, I guess, with Maldonado. Uh, so he didn't play quite as much, I don't believe. But as a whole, you should still be able to get like 130 games roughly out of Vasquez if he's healthy. You know, you're going to get seven to ten home runs. I think that's about, you know, maybe even six to eight kind of home runs, uh, probably a max of five steals and hit somewhere in that roughly 260 range. Doesn't strike out a ton, which is good. Uh, walk rate's a little bit lower than you'd like. Overall, he's fine. Uh, I kind of poo-pooed him at the beginning there a little bit. Didn't really mean to do that. He's fine. He's just doesn't excite me. I don't see him sitting there on the draft board and say, oh, Christian Vasquez, let's go, let's go. Maybe as your second catcher, if he slips a little bit, let's say you get him around pick 300, your second catcher, absolutely, that's fine. Not somebody that I would be uh, jumping for joy if you see sitting there on the draft board. But guys, that is going to do it for us today, I believe. Well, you know what? I should probably check and make sure nobody signed while we've been sitting here because that's been a problem these last couple of days uh, where I hit you know the pause button and then somebody signs. Nothing in terms of actual deals. Uh, apparently, the Giants are in contact with Dansby Swanson. Dansby's decision is not imminent, according to John Morosi of MLB Network. That's something that could be interesting. Probably by tomorrow we'll know based on the way that things have gone, even though it says it's not imminent, uh, the way that this free agent period has gone. Everything's been pretty imminent. So we're not sure what's going to happen there. We'll keep an eye. We'll keep you guys posted. Carlos Carrasco, there's also been talk of the Mets listening to offers on him. That would make sense for me. He's an older guy. They might be able to actually bank some value because he had a good year, 15-7 and seven record, sub-4 ERA, striking out a batter per inning, you know, Good numbers here, and they have David Peterson and Tyler McGill sitting in the wings, specifically Peterson, although, honestly, specifically both of them. I love both of them so much. I'd probably take Peterson ahead of McGill, but I, I love them both. Uh, you get Carrasco out of there. One of those guys will get the starting rotation spot, I would assume, Peterson at first, and that would just make him that much more valuable for fantasy, but we don't know yet. We're not going to speculate too much. Maybe he will start out the season with the Mets. Maybe he'll just spend, you know, spend the entire season there. We don't really know for sure. He's going to make $14 million next year. Not that expensive considering the pitcher market we are seeing for guys like that, sub-4 ERA-type pitchers. Uh, so somebody will be interested if the Mets are really truly shopping him. Uh, wouldn't mind him as a fifth starter in Toronto over Yusei Kikuchi, but we'll speculate on that more tomorrow if it actually happens. I'm sure there will be some moves. Uh, if there is nothing that happens, we'll go back to SP, SP rankings, SP reviews. But we're kind of just playing it by ear a little bit here. You know, I kept saying it last week. We're going to do SPs tomorrow. We're going to do SPs. We haven't been able to. There's just been too much shit going on, and it's fun. It's you no, know, I'm not complaining. It's been great seeing all these teams sign players. I was kind of a little bit sour on the pod yesterday because of Kevin Kiermaier thinking, oh, this is all the Jays are going to do. It's bullshit. And, you know, they actually went out and did something today. They signed Chris Bassett. So hopefully that works out for the Blue Jays in the long term. Only a three-year deal. Not a lot really to worry about. 
uh, a lot like a Jose Barrio seven-year kind of deal, which looks like a bit of a nightmare. That one should be okay. But I've rambled for plenty long enough. You guys can check me out over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. At Ethos Fantasy BB is where all the podcast articles, Twitter threads, and all that is shared from, posted out from. And SportsEthos.com, of course, uh, get it all right from the source. There are fantasy passes. There are wagering passes. There are podcasts that cover most teams in the NBA. We're going to start doing that more so on the baseball side next year as well. We're still hiring people. If you want to cover a team, if you want to do a team-centric podcast, hit me up on Twitter, at JoeRico99. We will get talking with you because we are trying to expand here at Sports Ethos as much as we possibly can, the baseball side in particular. Uh, guys, leave a five-star review on the way out if you could. A couple of kind words also would do a lot for us here in trying to expand our audience at the end of, well, we're not even at the end of the season anymore. We are two months into the offseason, which is crazy to think about. Uh, we haven't had baseball games in actually two and a half months, like 75 days. Crazy shit. But we will be back tomorrow with more baseball content. Not sure exactly what it will be yet, depending on the news cycle. But until then, take care, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>